Well, all right. Good morning, everybody. Glad that you're here. We've been talking over the past couple of weeks. We're going through a series entitled Bad Neighbor, yet ironically, we're trying to figure out how to be a good neighbor and how to love our neighbor as ourself. And so two weeks ago, we began this journey by just talking about Jesus when asked one day what the greatest command was, which actually was supposed to be sort of a trick question. In the end, he said, I can summarize 613 commands, regulations, and laws into two. And there are these two. Number one, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you can figure out those two things, it will bring about revolution. So we talked that first week about what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves. Those are my notes there. I'm going to get those back. Time out. We also looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then last week we talked about Jesus summarizing everything in regards to doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. And we started talking about, really, this isn't ethereal, this isn't so heavenly-minded, that doesn't do us any earthly good, it isn't abstract. There are very real practical implications to doing to other people what we want them to do to us. And it means in terms of our neighborhood, thinking through what it is that we do when we walk our dog and what it is that we do when we mow our yard. We also talked last week about how do you handle conflict with neighbors. Or finally, we talked about what happens if we need to be put on a path of forgiveness in regards to our neighbor. But this morning, I want to talk to you about a door of opportunity that I think each of us has in regards to our neighbors. Interesting, the way we use the word door, it has become for us a metaphor for an opportunity or something that's a potential for us. So we say things like, we ask God to open up a door for us. And what do we mean by that? We're wanting an opportunity. We're wanting something by way of potential. Or we say, after a while, we see that that door has been closed. We're looking for a door door of opportunity. Or getting your foot in the door means we're hoping that we'll score this opportunity. So barring the metaphor for a moment, there is on each door a thing that makes even the most massive of doors, movable. You know what it is that makes the door itself functional? Just a little thing that's on each door. You know what it is? It's the hinges. The hinges are the thing that allows us to open up those doors of opportunity. I want to share with you two hinges that I think are on your door of opportunity. I've come to appreciate hinges in a whole new way. Um, When my daughter was born, Alex, who's now eight, but when she was first born, my two oldest sons, they had a bad habit of leaving our basement door open. And so Alex could kind of fall. In fact, I think she did fall down the steps one time, and she was okay. So my brother-in-law said to, said to me, he said, you ought to put those self-closing hinges, you know, that kind of automatically close. So I thought, well, that's a great idea. Now, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that I have confessed that I am not much of a fix-it kind of a guy, right? I've got other characteristics and qualities that my wife sees in me. Fixing things around the house is not it, let me tell you. So what I've discovered is in those hinges is when you take them off and you put those self-closing hinges, you've got to have it on the right way or it's just perpetually open, right? That's <laughs> Figure that out. No, it's good. And you also have to have it square onto the, to the, to the door frame or when you try to close the door, do you know what happens to the door? It hits the door frame. It doesn't work. I figured that out as well. And so finally, in the end, I was just frustrated and I had to put back on the original hinges. And for, for some reason, somehow, I've so messed up the basement door that it does not close now. And so instead of just fixing it appropriately, I went to the garage to get a sander just to sand off the edge. So because that's how I fix things. And so I'm confident my wife's dad, my father-in-law, when he speaks to his friends, refers to me, his son-in-law, as an idiot who married his daughter. The opportunity, I think, that you have with your neighbor in regards to relationship with you or with God, two hinges, their prayer and service. 
that I think that if we'll commit ourselves to praying for our neighbor and serving our neighbor, it will open up a door of opportunity and potential for you to have a relationship with your neighbor or even for your neighbor to have a relationship with God above. When we become a people who regularly and routinely pray and serves our neighbor, I'm telling you, it will advance the kingdom of God. That God's reign and rule here on the earth will advance if we will commit ourselves to praying and serving our neighbors. If we will take the time to do what Jesus does in regards to, I mean, how does Jesus advance the kingdom of God? If you look at his ministry, you'll see he's continually praying for others and he's continually serving others. And in that way, he advances the reign and rule of God. He advances the kingdom of God. And so he teaches us as his followers to learn how to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever it looks like in heaven by way of how we relate to one another, whatever peace looks like in heaven, whatever joy looks like in heaven, whatever love looks like in heaven, that's what we're asking to come down to the face of the earth. And I would get even more specific than that. If you live on Oakside, your prayer should be, Lord, I'm asking you that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on Oakside Street just like it is in heaven. And if you live on Ewing, your prayer ought to be, Lord, I'm asking that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on Ewing just like it is in heaven. And began to imagine what it looks like then for the kingdom of God to advance right there on Ewing. If you live in the Miami Hills apartments, your prayer ought to be, but it's kingdom to come to Miami Hills in the same way that it is in heaven. And imagine the revolution that takes place in Miami Hills when God answers that prayer, and he will. And see, this is how Jesus begins to enact. And so when we begin to pray for Riley High School and Monroe Primary Center and for Veritas, God's kingdom to come, it happens through the hinge of prayer. Do you ever, just let me ask, do you ever pray for your neighbors? And I don't mean like, you know, smite them now for that dog that's barking. I mean like, I mean honestly, pray for them by name. Like, have you ever just walked up and down your street, and as you passed by each house, you just lifted up a prayer? You, you spoke their name? I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be out loud or real overly charismatic in expression for fear that they look out the window and think you're crazy. But, I mean, just as you walk up and down the street, do you lift up your neighbors in prayer? Do you lift up their children in prayer and ask God's protection and blessing upon them? Do you pray for the marriages that are on your street? Do you pray for peace in your neighborhood? Do you pray for those that you know are struggling through pain and sickness? I mean, I think if we were to be, if we really want to see revolution on the south side of South Bend, it will mean for us that we will need to pray radical prayers. But you need to know we have explicit permission by the New Testament to pray radical intercessory prayers on behalf of the south side of South Bend. To pray things, I mean, that we begin to pray and ask God to intervene in such a way that we ask Him for protection in our neighborhoods from things that would seek to harm our neighborhood. So when you have abuse in your street or on your neighborhood, we pray in a very powerful and radical and intercessory way. Lord, we're coming to you right now in the name of Jesus, and we're asking that there will not be any abuse whatsoever on our street. And it doesn't matter what kind of abuse, whether it's abuse among spouses, whether it's abuse towards kids, whether it's sexual abuse, we're praying in the name of Jesus that all of that will be gone. Is there addictions on your street? And my guess is there are, that you've got neighbors who right now are struggling through whatever it is by way of addiction that has them in bondage. Have you ever prayed powerful, radical prayers that ask for release? In the name of Jesus, we're asking, Father, that you would release anyone and everyone in this neighborhood who is struggling right now with an addiction. Would you protect children from ever entering into those addictions? And in that way, they're radical intercessory prayers that I think in the end will change neighborhoods. And it could be praying against poverty or a spirit of laziness or it could be depression. But we have this from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 beginning in verse 3. For though we live in the world, 
We do not wage war as the world does. Now, Paul knows he did not call us as followers of Jesus to kind of get into our little holy huddles and away from the world. No, we live in, we work in, we're supposed to be in the world. But from that posture, we don't wage war like the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have, listen to this, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, see, when you see that word in the New Testament, strongholds, it is a reflection of something that has, there's a fortress, there is a stronghold, there is a place on the earth where Satan has jurisdiction and rights. And what Paul says is, we don't have to be afraid of that, and we don't have to be intimidated by that. Because we have available to us weapons at our disposal. They're not like the world's weapons, but they have the power, divine power, to demolish all of those strongholds, whatever they might be. And so it goes on to say, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, do you pray in your neighborhood against the strongholds of your neighborhood? It could be crime, and, or it could be vandalism. And I know some of you, I know some, at 930, Bill Stills here, he's struggling. It feels like every weekend with somebody breaking into his truck or doing something in his, in his home and I'd say, I know you want to kill them, and I totally appreciate that, but you've got weapons available to you to demolish those things, to pray in the name of Jesus against a stronghold of crime that might be there or addiction that might be there or poverty, or it could be narcissism and selfishness and materialism in your neighborhood, but we do battle against those things for the sake of our neighborhood. And it's interesting to me, when Paul writes in Ephesians 6 about the armor of God, there's this whole passage where he talks about the spiritual warfare and spiritual battle. And he lists, here are the things that God has given to us to equip us for this battle. And he talks about, you know, a shield of faith and a helmet of salvation and a belt of truth and and feet that are fitted with, I mean. But in the end, once you have all that armor on, you know what he tells them to do next? It's to pray. See, prayer is our offensive weapon to see that our neighborhoods really are different, that they really are changed. And Paul will say in, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 6, he'll say, you should devote yourselves to, pray, to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's why we should be praying for I-step test scores at Monroe School. We should. We're the church that's a block and a half away from them. We're the ones that God has called us here on the south side of South Bend. We should be praying for students at Veritas that they pass their I-step test scores. Did you know Riley High School, the state is starting to take them over? Do you know what we should do about that? I mean, there's lots of things we can do. I'm not saying we don't do the work of serving and tutoring and mentoring and getting involved. But one thing that we have at our disposal is prayer. And I think Paul calls us to a radical intercessory ministry to pray well for our neighbors. And if you actually will begin to take a look at the theology of prayer within the Scriptures, you'll find that we should believe prayer moves God to action and it changes history. Prayer is ultimately a call to God to move and to act and to change history. It is never viewed as some therapeutic exercise where it's meant to make you feel better by praying. And I'm not saying you don't feel better by praying, but in the end, Jesus does not call us to radical prayer so that we can have warm fuzzies. He calls us to radical prayer so that in it, we might cooperate with God in heaven to change and affect the things on the earth. And so you've got the language of power and authority 
all throughout the New Testament, Jesus gives us a bold promise. I mean, you want to talk about moving mountains. I mean, he gives us a bold promise that if we pray in his name, do you know what God is going to do? Answer it. He doesn't qualify it. He doesn't try to make it kind of, well, I mean, not in this. I mean, he just simply says, if you will ask for anything in my name, my Father will give it to you. And what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? It's not just a trite end of the, the prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. I mean, it is to say we will stand in the will of Jesus and in the authority of Jesus and in the power of Jesus and ask for great things, not only for us, but for our neighborhood. And Jesus will tell us in Matthew chapter 18, if two or three of you will gather together in his name and agree on anything, it will be done. And it goes through this language of what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm telling you, we have been given great power and great authority in regards to prayer. And I think if we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, it will mean that we should believe Scripture and step out and say, when it comes to telling the history of our neighborhood, it will be changed and affected by the Living Stones Church who agreed together to love our neighbors well enough that we would pray for them. That prayer is that thing that opens up. It's the hinge that opens up a door of opportunity to either a relationship with you or a relationship with God. And could you imagine what it would look like all over the south side of South Bend if every living stoner agreed together to pray for their neighborhood? Because there's like four or five family units that live over there on Victoria Street. What if all of you got together and said... We're going to pray together for the street of Victoria. And just see what happens. See what God does on your street. And you might want to include the alley in Fairview as well. But you know, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? What if you began on a regular basis to pray for your neighbors that whatever veil is over their eyes that they can't see how much Jesus loves them will just be removed? Because you know people are walking around all over the place who don't believe that God loves them. And there's a whole bunch of things, that are, um, a whole list that goes through their head as to why God can't possibly love them. And if you talk to them, they'll share that list oftentimes. I've done this, I've done that. And they have no idea that none of those things exempt them from the love of God. And they need to know that God is crazy in love with them. But there's a veil that's been over their eyes that Satan has placed there to keep them from seeing that. And so what if our prayer was what Paul's prayer was in Ephesians 3, verses 16 to 19, where he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now listen to this. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, can you imagine? Do you think if everyone on your street grasped the love of Christ, I mean, how wide it is, how long it is, how deep it is, and that they were filled to the measure, listen, to the fullness of God, do you think it would change things on your street? Under how many kids in high school who are about to drop out would not drop out if they only knew the love of Christ, how wide and deep it is. I wonder how many girls in high school right now who are cutting themselves because they don't know what to do with their pain and anxiety would no longer do that if they totally got a picture of how crazy in love God is with them. I wonder how many in our neighborhoods who are struggling through depression and anxiety would instead, instead of turning to drugs and alcohol would turn to Jesus because they get a revelation of how crazy in love God is with them. And next week, we're going to have an opportunity to put this into practice. See, 
Sending out people to pray for our neighborhood isn't like busy work. It's not the trite stuff. It is the warfare that we've been called to for the sake of our neighborhood. And so next week, as, you've been, as we've been announcing, we're not going to have normal church next week. There'll be no 9.30 service, no 11.30 service, no 5.30 service. We're all going to meet at 11 o'clock. And, and part of the thing we're doing at 11 o'clock, we're going to send out people to pray. And in it, we want to send them out believing that it changes the history of the world. So when we send a little group out to Monroe School just to pray for Monroe School, we fully expect God to do great things and powerful things because of that. And when we send a group to walk down Woodside, it is to believe that in the course of praying, it is in fact an extension of loving our neighbor. Because I promise you, if you will pray for your neighbor and if you will love your neighbor in this way, we'll see God do great things. Number two, the second hinge is that of service. The second hinge of service. There's sort of a small barrier that comes down in the midst of true, honest service between people. doesn't have to be huge. doesn't have to be dramatic. But I've noticed that in my life, anytime somebody has done something with no strings attached to serve me, I love them more for it. There's a little barrier that comes down for it. This past winter, I, I, I mentioned last week, I've got a shovel. I don't have one of those fancy snow, snow blowers like some people do. So it snowed real bad and got a big, you know, a foot or more of snow that's in the driveway. So I go out on a Saturday. I lift up the garage door to begin the hours it's going to take me to shovel my driveway. And you know who's, who's sitting at the top of my uh, driveway, at the, at the beginning of my driveway? It's Doug Barnes. Doug Barnes lives down the street. And you know what Doug Barnes has? A fancy schmancy snowblower. Praise God for Doug Barnes. And you know what Doug Barnes does? He takes care of my driveway just like that. I mean, it would have taken me at least an hour. He takes care of it in minutes. And you know why he did it? Just to be nice. Didn't need anything, didn't ask for anything. And so I'm telling you, when he walked away, I just felt a greater appreciation for Doug Barnes. It's just that simple. It's just those sort of small little acts of kindness with not a single thing being asked in return. That in the end, we think by fo- if, if we're going to be serious about following after Jesus, we're going to have to do these things because this is who he is. This is his nature. This is his heart. He's all about having a heart to serve those who are around him. He'll say in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, I mean, even Jesus, he deserves everything, and yet he said, Oh, no, I've come to serve. And so if we're going to follow after him, this will be important for us. There's another story in John chapter 13 where Jesus is like the Last Supper, and they're in the upper room, and they're about ready to take uh, uh, the Passover together. And before they begin, Jesus is going to wash his disciples' feet. Now, the scandal of the story is everybody at least recognizes that Jesus is the master. He is the teacher. They refer to him as Lord. There is no way that Jesus should be taking off his outer cloak and stooping down and washing the feet of stinky fishermen, Galileans. It's just not appropriate. And so because of the offense of that picture, even Peter says, Oh, no, Lord, uh, you're not going to do this for me. To which Jesus responds to Peter. I don't know if you remember the story. He says, well, if you don't let me wash you, then you can't have any part. And then, of course, Peter being the personality that he has, oh, well, then wash my head and wash my hands. And Jesus, just settle down, Peter. We're just going to take care of the feet right now. And that's kind of a paraphrase, but that's what he says. But in the end, he washes his disciples' feet, including Judas's, by the way. And when he's finished, it says this in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. 
What that means is if we're going to follow seriously after Jesus, we will now need to find and look for real practical ways to serve our neighbors. Making a meal maybe if they're sick. When the leaves fall down, maybe raking a yard for the widow on the street. Maybe shoveling a walk. Maybe giving a neighbor a hand that you see they're moving something. I don't know what it is, but we want to do it in a way that, that says there's no strings attached to this whatsoever. And I promise if we will pray and serve our neighborhood, we will change it. If you will pray and serve your neighborhood, you will change it. And I'm convinced that I don't think we'll be able to pray and serve our neighbor for an extended period of time and not love them more. That just sort of naturally goes hand in hand. When you begin to pray for somebody and to serve somebody, when you do that on a regular basis, you have greater affection and love for that person, which means you'll find it hard to sin against them the next time you're tempted to. Or the next time your neighbor does something to hack you off, which happens, right? We live in neighborhoods. We, when you're tempted to be agitated or hacked off because you have focused your life and your ministry to pray for and to serve your neighbor, you will find it is a lot more difficult to get so easily agitated and hacked off at your neighbor. You'll find it will be difficult to remain apathetic to your neighbor's hurts and anxieties. And I know, and if you've been here for a length of time, know this works. Prayer and service works. If you've been here at the Livingstones Church for the past four years, then you've seen this in action. Because four years ago, we committed as a church together that we were going to focus all of our energies on the south side of South Bend, the 42,500 people who live in the zip codes of 46613 and 46614, and we wanted to be faithful, being in the very center of that at 718, faithful with that. And so we began that. And we have a second, not only do we want to impact the south side, we've got a vision statement, the second sentence that says this. We're going to do this through the pursuit of intentional relationships established by the Spirit of God through prayer, service, and invitation to follow God. And so we agreed together. This is what we're going to do as a church. We're going to, we're going to pursue relationships and trust that God will be the one who will bring that about. And this is important because we think Jesus is relational in, in nature. And we think he's called us to be. We don't think that anybody's our projects. Miami Hills, they are not our project. The kids at Monroe School, they are not our project. He's called us to be intentional in terms of relationships. And so that's what we ask for. That's what we pray for. And so just as a church, we've tried to encourage one another, hey, if you're going to go out bowling for the evening with your, with your spouse, before you go bowling, you should just pray and ask God, God, we're about to go bowling, and if there's an opportunity, if there is a door that you want to open up by way of relationship and friendship with somebody at that bowling alley, then just let it happen. And then you go bowling, and you just keep your eyes open for that possibility. And if it happens, praise God. And if it doesn't happen, bowl a good game and go eat pizza, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? We make things so complicated in the kingdom of God, and we ask people to do things that are so contrary to their personality or to their nature, and it's really just not that difficult. If God will make it happen because he's got a greater vested interest in the south side of stuff than we do. Is that right? He loves people around us a lot more than, he, than we do, don't we? So we should just trust him that because of that profound love, he's going to take care of it. If we'll cooperate with him in his mission of love, he'll have it covered. And so if you're taking your kid to story time at the Tut Library or to the Center Township Library, before you go, you should just pray and ask God, is there another relationship here, another friendship that you'd like me to enter into and go to story time? And if it happens, praise God. And if it doesn't happen, go eat steak and shake. I mean, you get what I'm saying? It's just not that difficult. Yet we also as a church collectively wanted four years ago to pray and ask God to do this, to establish real relationships. 
And so here's what we did four years ago. You were, if, you were here back, uh, if you were here back then, you remember, we put together a prayer room. the last room way down in the hallway, and we wanted for 40 days to pray nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 40 whole days. And, of course, four years ago, we had about 80 to 100 people here. Like, that's all we, that's all we had. And so we knew that might be a challenge. We knew that would be a significant thing. And we even knew you're going to have that 2 in the morning slot, that 3 in the morning slot. It's not like God's going to withhold his blessing because we missed an hour. But what was amazing, and if you're here, what was amazing was for every hour for 40 straight days, we had somebody in that prayer room praying for our neighborhood and for our schools and for our vision and for our church and for Ewing and for Donald and for Calvert. It was incredible. And some of you don't know this, but the reason why you're here is because of those prayers four years ago. Now, you might not have known that walking in, but we know that because that's what we ask God for. Would you help us establish relationships? And so we began to pray and ask for those sorts of things. But we also knew it wouldn't just be prayer. You'd have to serve as well. you got to serve your... See, years ago, we were an inward folk fighting all the time church. And you can't just announce to your neighbors one day, hey, we've decided to be interested in the neighborhood. And then go, oh, great, we're glad you finally arrived. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, we've been there for 50 years. You've ignored us for 50 years and... And so we knew if we were going to make any impact whatsoever in our neighborhood, we would have to serve with no strings attached. And so four years ago, we committed ourselves as a church to, hey, once a month, we should do something that just, ser- it doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be dramatic, just a little thing that serves our neighborhood with absolutely no strings attached whatsoever. And so we began to do things. We had grocery giveaway at Miami Hills. We've done detergent giveaways. We've pumped gas. We've handed out winter survival kits. During Valentine's Day, we sent people out to, like, the businesses to hand out carnations and, and, uh, and candy. And so, man, you get a little kid going into Starbucks with that. Who's going to turn that down? We've done cleanup days for Southeast Little League and Southside. I mean, we just done a bunch of things. And we knew we didn't do any of them thinking, oh, on that next Sunday, 200 people are going to show up. That was never our goal. Our goal is simply to go the distance to show the community, whether they ever come to the Living Stones Church or not, that we're a church who's committed to our neighborhood that loves it and wants to serve it well in the manner of Jesus. A year ago this time, a year ago this time, do you remember what we were doing as a church? We had the big shoe event. Do you remember that? We had an opportunity through Samaritan's Feet to get, like, nice tennis shoes, and we invited every kid at Monroe School to come here and to get a brand-new pair of tennis shoes. And I'm telling you what, it was phenomenal. Those kids came here. We washed their feet. We put on new socks, new shoes. They had hot dogs. And you want to see a video of it? Can I show you a video? This is what we were doing last year at this time to serve our neighbors. I am lacing shoes for our shoe event tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing all the kids getting brand new shoes. Well, Jim came to one of our reef meetings and uh, offered an idea that we uh, partner, try to partner with Samaritan's Feet and try to uh, get some shoes for the children in Monroe. And uh, everybody on the team thought it was a great idea and gave them the we all agreed that we should do go ahead and start getting the information pulled together. As we put these shoes and socks on their feet, as we hold the next generation in our hands, we're going to be able to speak life and to speak truth into them. And so that's kind of what, none of that gets going tomorrow though, until we do this work tonight.
Kids are going to show up, and uh, while they're waiting in line, they might have a face painter visit them. Um, as they arrive at the door, they'll get tickets for food and uh, games, and they'll get their feet sized. And all of that will happen before they even get inside the big rock star room. And once inside the rock star room, they'll be escorted to a chair where a volunteer will get to know them and uh, ask them some questions about life and uh, wash their feet and place brand new shoes and socks on them. And when they're uh, done, each volunteer will have an opportunity to pray for each child and send them on their way um, to have fun outside with the food and games. But I think it's, it's important to remember that we're just not giving away just pairs of shoes today. Um, but they are truly a symbol of hope uh, to kids that may be going through some um, ridiculous situations at home that we have, have, have probably uh, no experience of. Um, but that's today that we're the opportunity to, to share with them that they're important to us, they're important to God, and, and uh, that they matter, that their life matters, and they have value. And uh, that's what we hope to show them today. grateful for the opportunity that Livingstone Church and the Good Samaritan program has provided for our students. I've never seen such excitement and enthusiasm and just pure joy out of their faces as they walk out of the church with their new shoes and then to not only have new shoes but to have the opportunity to play and jump on a giant inflatable and shoot baskets and have lunch. It's just an awesome, awesome experience for them as well as for, for Sharon and I who get to see their faces. So here's the thing, we, we've seen it work. I mean, in terms of just pray and serve, just let God take care of the rest. He took a small ragtag group of 80 to 100 people and added another 500 to them in just four short years. And this is important because next Sunday, as I've mentioned, we're not going to have church like we normally do, right? Do, do not come at 9.30, do not show up at 11.30, don't show up at 5.30. We're going to worship God next Sunday at 11 o'clock by gathering on the front yard. We're going to have like a song or two. We'll worship together just real briefly. And then we're going to have instruction. We're just going to go out all over the south side of South Bend to serve and to pray. And in your bulletin this morning, you could pull it out. There's a little insert in your bulletin that has a list of opportunities next Sunday. You should take a look at and consider what you'd like to be a part of. There's some on there that are real kid-friendly, like there's some things we're going to put together, food packs for kids at Monroe School, and thank yous to the firehouses uh, here on the south side. So if you've got kids, you might want to consider, you, you'll actually come in the building and do some work here, and that's, okay, and that's good. If you don't have kids, 
save those spots for the families with kids. So if you're like able-bodied, pick, pick something out. But on your way out this morning on the bulletin board, there's some sign-up sheets. And just sign your name to something that you think would be a, a real blessing to you and a blessing to the South Side. And then imagine what that looks like. If you got your I Love the South Side t-shirt, wear it next Sunday if you got it. Uh, we'll just gather in the front yard, all of us, just hundreds of us on the front yard, and, and go serve. And I'm letting you know up front, you don't want to miss it because it's one of those Sundays where it's going to be really great and a lot of good and a lot of fun. And we'll be talking about it together for like months. And if you weren't there, you will go, oh, I missed it. And you'll be sad. So you're not sad. I just want you to know up front, you should be here next Sunday. The prayer and service changes things. And we think God has called us to exist within our neighborhoods to see the things for, for His glory. And so where there is brokenness, we want to pray for healing. Where there is sin, we want to pray for grace. Where there is depression, we want to pray for joy. And where there is death, we want to pray and ask the resurrected Lord Jesus to bring about once again life. To do that through us, the people of the Living Stones Church. So let's bring the band back up here. Let's all stand together. Let's just pray and ask God that he would use us in a mighty way to change the neighborhoods around us for his glory. Father, we come to you and we ask that you give us your spirit in such measure that it opens up our eyes and our heart to our neighbors, that we would see things as you see them, that we would feel things as you feel it, that we would have your eyes, if even just for a moment, to see what it is that you see, and in that, that you would empower us then to take those steps, to pray well and to serve well. Ultimately, Lord, we look to see you glorified, for you to be lifted up, for you to be known. We long to see our neighborhoods changed. We long to see your kingdom come and your will be done here in this church and on Don Moyer and Woodside and Oakside and Ekman and Irvington and Fairview and Victoria and Altgale and Ewing and Donald, all, Miami Hills, Southmore. Lord, all around us, Lord, we want to see your kingdom come. Would you do that? This is our prayer this morning in Jesus' name.